Last month, the world was stunned when a fire broke out at Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Over the course of 15 hours, the roof and spire of the 800-year-old medieval church was reduced to ashes. People lined the banks of the River Seine to mourn the loss. And social media was filled with photos and videos of the disaster. 15 hours. That's all it takes to nearly destroy a church that was built over a hundred years length of time. But why did the world react the way it did? I mean, it was just an old building. Nobody died. Why the weeping, the lamenting, the tears for just wood, stone, and glass? I believe that the world's reaction to the fire at Notre Dame tells us something about human nature. See, we humans, we value beautiful things. We give time and resources, blood, sweat, and tears to create and care for beautiful things. Things that sadly will not last. Things that can be easily destroyed by fire. And we all do this. People from every language, nation, religion, tribe. We make and we care for beautiful things. And we mourn when those beautiful things are lost. Indeed, the cultivation of beauty is one of the things that makes us human. So the real question is not why did the world react the way it did, but why do we value beauty? What is it about us that values beauty so much? This is a huge question that philosophers and theologians much more intelligent than I have reflected on in many, many books. But this morning, I want to make an attempt to offer a Christian answer to the question, why we value beauty. And I want to do so by looking at the end of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapters 21 and 22. Here, St. John is offering us a vision of humanity's future. We are getting a glimpse of perfected creation, fulfilled human life. In this picture, John is showing us our destiny, the way that we were made to live and the way that we will live. And this destiny, this picture, this vision tells us something about why we value beauty. I want to pull out a couple of key moments from this end of the book of Revelation. Our reading started with verse 22. We're told that uh, God's people are living in a city. This is an important point to make in and of itself. Often, when uh, our culture thinks about paradise, when we think about a future glory, we don't think of cities. We think of a rural pasture, or we think of a beach by the ocean, or we think of the mountains. But a city? Cities are packed and crowded and dirty and loud. But that's the vision we're given in the book of Revelation. All of God's people live together in a city, the New Jerusalem. 
And this city does not have a temple. There's no need for a temple because God dwells with his people. There's no need for a place of worship because our lives will be worship. Verse 23 tells us about the light of this city. The city is illumined by the glory of God. There's no sun or moon, no lamps. God's glory will lighten our path. That's how we will see. Our lives will be lived in light of the glory of God. That means that there is no more darkness, no more despair, because God's glory is our life. But that's not the only glory in this future city. Twice, in verses 24 and 26, we are told that the nations of the earth will bring their glory into the city. It's very easy to skip over this, but it's an important point. What does this mean? Commentators disagree on what exactly is meant by the glory of the nations, but they all agree on one thing. This is telling us that God's people from every language, every nation, every tribe, will in some sense bring the fruit of their labors with them into the heavenly city. Their glory, the things that they have worked so hard for in this life, will last in that city. What we do in this life matters because in some sense we will bring it with us. The work we do, our blood, our sweat, tears, but it will not remain the same. See, our glory, the fruit of our labors, will be transformed in light of the glorious light of the Lamb. John is giving us an image of the renewal of all things. As one commentator put it, this is not all new things. This is all things being made new. Not some theoretical city, but real cities, cities that we live in today, they will be made new in light of God's glory. So what is the result of this transformation? What happens when God's people live in the glory, this light of God? Chapter 22, verse 3 kind of puts it very succinctly. They will no longer be accursed the curse, the curse that has been with us since our first parents in the Garden of Eden will be removed. No longer will our lives be defined by the sins of Adam and Eve, but our lives will be transformed by the glorious light of Christ. So what is John getting at here? What is the point of this future vision? Well, Revelation 21 speaks to the most basic longing of human life. More than anything else in this world, humans, you and I, we long to see the glory of God. And this longing expresses itself in all sorts of ways, ways that we don't really expect. We long for the renewal of our cities and our communities, for the end of injustice and poverty. We long for meaning in our lives, we want the work that we do to matter, to outlive us. 
And most fundamentally, we value beauty. The human valuing of beauty is a manifestation of the longing for the glory of God. Every time you enjoy a painting, a piece of music, a good novel, we are tasting, in a small way, the glory of God. And this is possible, friends, because of the resurrection of Jesus. In his resurrection, Jesus has made this future given to us in Revelation 21 present now. It's not just a distant hope of what will come. The kingdom has come now. In Jesus, God's future has broken into the present. We have beheld his glory. We have gazed upon his beauty. And Jesus fulfills all of our longings. That's why we're all here this morning. We, the church, the body of Christ, we are called to proclaim this new reality to the world and called to live our lives in light of the glorious light of Christ today. If this is true, if you and I can experience a foretaste of the glory of God, a foretaste of the heavenly city today, then how? Well, this brings us to our gospel reading from Luke chapter 20. At first glance, Jesus' teaching has really nothing to do with beauty. It's about paying taxes. However, Jesus is making a much deeper point, a point that has significance, gives us an answer to this question of how we experience God's glorious future today. Let me set the scene for you. Jesus' opponents have set a trap for him. They're asking him a seemingly simple question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? If Jesus tells his followers to pay the tax, then he's implicitly paying homage to Caesar. If he tells his followers to avoid the tax, then Jesus is fomenting rebellion. He is either a fraud or a rebel. And in either case, he cannot be the king of Israel. So notice how Jesus responds to this catch-22. First, he tells them to look at the coin. Look at the image on the coin. And then he tells them to render. Render. That's the key word here. Render means give someone what they are owed. Every time you pay a credit card bill or pay your mortgage, you are giving the bank what they are owed. You know who owes something by whether their image is on it. Caesar is owed the coin because his image is on it. So Jesus is saying, give to Caesar what he is owed and give to God what God is owed. But what is God owed? Where is his image? Scripture says time and time again that God has put his image on us, you and I. We were made in God's image. And this means that all of us belong to God. And through us, all of creation belongs to God. 
As we say at the offertory often, all things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee. That's why we render. We give God our lives and all of creation. Rendering, friends, is one of the most basic principles of the Christian life. When we render ourselves and creation back to God, we are acknowledging our creator's glory and we are submitting ourselves to his future, the future that we get a picture of in Revelation 21. That's what's happening here in this last book of scripture. All nations, all peoples dwelling together in the glory of God, rendering their lives to him. This reality is possible now if we render, render our lives and render creation to God. The resurrection of Jesus makes this rendering possible. That's the good news. Because before the resurrection, all of our rendering was marred by sin and death. All of our attempts to glorify God were tainted by our pride. We got in the way of rendering. But now, by the resurrection of Jesus, Christians have been set free from sin and death so that we can render ourselves to God. The resurrection also gives us a new vision, a new way to see the world. We Christians, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can see the world today not through darkness of sin and death, but in light of the glorious light of Christ, in light of the future destiny of all things. The resurrection has given us hope and faith, faith to see God's presence in our world today. That's what we proclaim when we come together and celebrate the Eucharist. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Do you see it? The resurrection of Jesus makes it possible for Christians to participate in heaven now. And when we understand Jesus' teaching in Luke 20 in light of the resurrection, it's no surprise then that Christians historically have embraced and advocated for beauty. The making and caring for beautiful things is one of the most tangible ways that we can render ourselves and creation to God. By cultivating beauty in the name of Christ, we receive a present foretaste of the future heavenly city. So let me conclude these reflections on beauty with some practical takeaways about art. Because art is one of the most concrete ways that we engage with beauty today. Three things you need to know about art. First, good art glorifies God. Too often, Christians make the mistake of using beauty as a means to an end. But when beauty is a means to an end, we tend to view art in an overly sentimental way. We only like art that makes us feel good rather than art that proclaims goodness, truth, and beauty. But if we're taking Revelation 21 seriously, if we're seeking to be obedient to Jesus' command, then we must affirm that beauty is an end in itself, that good art 
good music, good literature, all of these things can reflect the glory of God in the world. The church should support the making and creating of beautiful things because beauty glorifies God. And this is exactly why the church has spent time and resources, blood, sweat, and tears to create and care for beautiful things. That's what it means to be resurrection people, to see new creation breaking through today. Second, not only is... uh, Good art glorifying to God, but good art awakens faith. Something amazing happened last month during that tragedy in Paris. As hundreds of people watched Notre Dame burn, many of those people spontaneously began to sing hymns. Secular French people, people who've mostly rejected Jesus and the gospel, sang hymns of faith as they mourned the loss of this cultural artifact. This is because, friends, beauty awakens faith. Beauty can speak to people in an entirely different way than rational arguments or even personal testimonies. Beauty can cut through doubt and skepticism. It can move people to do amazing things. So far, over $1 billion have been raised to rebuild this church. $1 billion from all corners of the earth, from people of every nation and faith, to rebuild a church in a country that is no longer Christian. We have no way of knowing how God will work through this tragedy to move hearts and minds, to draw people back to himself. But if we believe St. John's vision in Revelation 21, if we believe this future heavenly city is our destiny, and we believe Jesus' command to render, then we must also affirm that the Holy Spirit can work through human longings for beauty to awaken faith. In this way, beauty is an essential part of Christian witness. It is one of the key methods of evangelism. The power of beauty for the sake of the gospel is something that Christians throughout history have understood. That's why we have the Sistine Chapel, box cantatas, and cathedrals like Notre Dame. The whole earth is full of his glory. Third and finally, good art glorifies God, good art awakens faith, but it also is sacramental. Good art is sacramental. See, we Christians, we believe that goodness, truth, and beauty became incarnate, became fleshed in Jesus of Nazareth. And because of this, Christians believe that ordinary matter can reveal God's goodness, truth, and beauty. That's what the sacraments are all about. Ordinary water, ordinary bread, and wine. When we render these things to God, they can reveal and proclaim his glory. They can point us to the true fulfillment of our longings. In our increasingly secular post-Christian culture, 
in a world that's as divided as ever by so many different things, we need more artists. We need more poets and playwrights. We need more dancers and actors. We need more musicians and more composers. We need more buildings like Notre Dame. The church more than ever needs creative people who can help us see new creation all around us. We need beautiful and cultural works that will glorify God and awaken faith and point us to his glory all around us. This is how the church renders itself to God, gives him back what he is owed, our lives and all of creation. And in so doing, friends, we will reflect his glorious light in this dark world. May God give us the grace and strength to do this. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.